Hi, this is Claudia Gray, the author of Lost Stars and Into the Dark, and you're listening to The Living Force. Welcome to The Living Force Podcast. Force is with me, and I am with the Force. A Utini production. I'll be there for you. Cassian said I had to. Episode 98, Light of the Jedi Roundtable, Part 2. Trust the Force. On this episode, the Utini YouTube hits a milestone. Congratulations. You are being rescued. Saying goodbye to an old friend. Be careful not to choke on your aspirations. And the Utini crew continues their discussion of Star Wars The High Republic, Light of the Jedi by Charles Soule. Rebellions are built on hope. And now, here are your hosts. Oh, golly. Dr. Corey Helton, Eric Eilerson, Dr. Charles Henkel, and Wes Jenkins. Utini! What is up, everybody? Hello! Welcome into the living Force, your one-stop shop for all things Star Wars books and comics. My name is Eric Eilerson. I am one of your hosts. My hair is red and black and zigzagged, and I'm very happy about it, but not as happy as I am to be joined by three of the greatest dudes in the Star Wars galaxy. First, we have the Doctor's Doctor, Corey Helton. Hello. What's up? What's up? What's up? What's up? How you guys doing? Oh, you are Good. awake. You are alive. You have done 18 quadrillion hours of website work, which we'll talk about, so I'm happy you're here. Yep, same, same. I was on a 24-hour shift last night, so glad to uh, get that behind me. <laughs> you know what? I am, too. I am also... Whoa, nope. That was going to be a bad segment. Dr. Charles Hankel is here as well. <laughs> Hello there. What's up, everybody? Uh, and you are uh, still wearing scrub pants for everyone at home. I'm s- uh, this is exactly what I wore to work, um, and now I'm going to wear it to play. It's disgusting, Charles. <laughs> it is. But, uh, Covered this, in nasty this is hospital what germs. <laughs> it, is COVID on me? Maybe. I really don't know. And that's the God on the Well, nothing is more disgusting and nasty than Wes Jenkins. Thank you, Eric. That's a great introduction. I don't have my name on my shirt, but I do have a brand new one that you can go out and pick up today. Look at that. <laughs> Our 232 BBY Great Disaster Tea available now at utini.com slash merch. Absolutely. Well, everyone, we are so happy to have you here. We're happy to see you all in the chat. And, of course, everyone listening and viewing later. Hi. Hope you're having a good week. We are here to talk about Light of the Jedi in part two of our roundtable. But before we get to that, a couple things we want to highlight. If you are watching on YouTube, you may be amongst a lot of friends because, y'all, this week... We hit 1,000 subscribers on YouTube. Wow. I I wish I had had my air horn ready to go. That's probably (laughs) probably much better than your air horn. It's it's 100% better. A little peek behind the scenes. Um, Our video team had a lot of goals this past year. uh, And and a lot of us have goals this year as to where we want the company to go as a whole. And one of our goals was to get 500 YouTube subscribers by the end of December. Less than two months later, that number has doubled. So, in in, yeah. in all seriousness, number one, shout out to our immaculate video team uh, for all for the real. stuff they're creating, all the stuff they're pushing out there, all the edits that go on on this very show to make it possible for you all to watch live later on. It is a, a mammoth amount of work, uh, so we love you guys. And also to all of you who are watching and commenting and liking and sharing and all the typical YouTube stuff, it is seriously making a difference, and... I, I'm not even going to make a prediction on where our YouTube channel goes from here because I, I think I'm just going to undershoot. Up. It's going <laughs> up. Stonks. Utini YouTube is stonks, everybody. Uh, stonks. Oh SP, SP, 
of YouTube, though. Uh, I want to throw this over to Wes because, Wes, as you know, our 100th episode of The Living Force is coming up. And we're going to make a change to our format of our show that we're going to start talking about this week and next week. Why don't you tell the great people what we're going to switch up for episode 100? Yes, so starting, we'll say, episode 100. We're at episode 98 right now. So in two episodes, we'll be moving the live show from Twitch to YouTube. Um, A lot of our content lives on YouTube. We had our video creation team uh, put a lot of work into our our videos. We have a lot of subscribers there. Um, Lots of views. We figured that if you put that all in one then it's it's more convenient for the viewer um you can see whenever we're live if you're searching for any of our any of our uh, star wars content or any of our reviews so i think it's going to be uh, very helpful um for people to, to see who we are and what we're about absolutely so and for those of you that watch here on twitch uh we love you we hope you're going to follow us there nothing about the show format is going to change as far as like, the content is going to be the same we're just pushing out the video <laughs> signal to youtube it's just, it's a like Wes was saying, it's a nice startup indie site. I think they got a good, powerful future. So <laughs> <laughs> hopefully, uh, if you've been just listening or watching later because either you don't have Twitch. I know Twitch isn't native to a lot of streaming apps and things like that. So hopefully this will make things easier. And now, Corey, speaking of things that will be easier, I didn't make the joke earlier, but you have been putting just a metric ton of hours into website redesign and tell the people what Utini might look like here in the beginning of 2021. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, we have not done a major site redesign in, uh, in two years. Um, it was before I started residency was the last time we did any work, major work on the website. And that was when we changed, uh, Eric, that's when we changed like the content and some of those particular pages, right? Like, and, um, that was uh, that was early 2019, so I think it's time for a fresh update of the website, and it was part of our OKRs that we talked about um, a while back of uh, working on making Utenia more corporate, I suppose. So uh, one of the big goals we had this year is to redesign a lot of the stuff, and I had uh, three days of annual leave all back-to-back, which is kind of rare in medicine to get that in residency anyway, um, and uh, I basically decided ahead of time I was going to use that to work on uh, the website. So I put about 35 hours in the web design, just mock-ups and that sort of thing, communicating with the team back and forth, getting lots of eyes on it. And uh, I'm super, super pleased with uh, with the mock-up. So I have one here. Wes, if you want to pull up the uh, screen share, I have one of the pages here just to kind of give you a sneak peek. Um, this is a peek at the at the upcoming collections page and what it's going to look like. And it's, it's much more visual. Um, it's really pretty. And pretty much the whole website is like much more... I don't know, visually attractive, I think, uh, like is, that'll be a big change. Yeah. So, um, it's a lot of fun. Uh, I'm really excited to unveil a lot of this stuff. It's going to take a couple weeks to, to really get all the, all the pages actually built. These are all just mock-ups for now. Um, but we'll be sure to keep you guys in the loop of the big changes coming to the website. It's going to be much easier to find things, much easier to navigate the timeline, man. I should have showed the timeline. Oh. I think I want to save that one for later. Yeah. The timeline is getting a complete redesign and that looks absolutely sexy as hell and i can't wait to show that yeah and and one of our biggest things here at utini has always been to make star wars books and comics as easy as possible for people right and it was when we first started out making the website and started the redesign back in 2019 like you said Corey, we didn't have as much content uh, just because we were a younger company so we we didn't think about making all these different like areas to put stuff and it was a little more like the more content we got the more kind of full it got it got a little harder to find things 
So now, when you go to Utini, you're going to be able to find things easier, you're going to be able to share things easier, and Star Wars books and comics are going to be so much simpler to understand than they <clears throat> ever have been. And just uh, just keep your eyes open, and of course, of course, we'll keep you up to date on this very show for when everything is rolling out. Uh, including one new thing that just got started in beta today for our staff and some of our patrons. Now, Corey, what was that? Yeah, so uh, you guys may have noticed that we took the bookshelf offline of the website recently, and uh, we haven't been super open about this because, honestly, we weren't Excuse me. We weren't super sure what our timeline was going to look like on building a new piece of software. Um, and uh, Emma on our team, one of our bow, lead bow. video, uh, that's right, bow, bow, bow. <laughs> one of the lead uh, lead video hosts. You guys know Emma well. Um, she has been hard at work, just kind of took it under her wing to uh, build a new bookshelf using one of the softwares we use at uh, Utini called Coda, which I am absolutely obsessed with. Uh, yeah, so today we launched the uh, beta version of the bookshelf, open to just patrons and staff right now. Uh, next week, we're going to roll out beta for the public. So if you want to contribute um, to the bookshelf and giving us feedback and participating in the beta and see what it looks like and all that kind of stuff, go to our website, utini.com. I think in the footer, actually, it still says bookshelf. That's probably the easiest way to get to it is go down to the footer, hit bookshelf, and it'll take you to the page where you can sign up for um, the beta. And, and uh, we will uh, notify you via email of how to actually get in there and play around with it. And uh, we need the feedback. So please, if you're interested in helping us figure out like the next generation of how to track Star Wars books, I'm super pleased with how it turned out. Emma has done an incredible job. So that's really yeah. awesome. It's truly spectacular. And again, it is it is the most visually pleasing and again, simple and concise way to track every Star Wars book you've read, want to read, want to read with a hard D or uh, or the ones that you own and haven't read like all of us have uh, all of us have at least 35 of those right anyway um, moving on to a couple other things Corey mentioned that our patrons get to be in that bookshelf beta so we want to thank a new patron that technically joined last week but it was right before the show and we didn't get him in the show notes and that is Jason Mitchell who joined our Alliance High Command and Jason also sent us a remarkably sweet message uh, that just completely made our day and kind of encapsulated why we do what we do here so jason thank you man for, for one for joining on patreon again we can never say how how much it means to us that we get to create stuff for you guys because of that but also your kind words about utini and the site really just kind of made our week so thank you welcome and i hope that you and the rest of our patrons are currently enjoying our phantom menace film commentary that's right this past friday the four of us did get together we watched Phantom Menace, recorded ourselves talking about it, and that's on your Patreon podcast feed right now. And guys, that was a blast. I had a really good time. It was. That was so much fun. That yeah, was a we, lot of fun. We've we've, uh, we've never watched a, a film together, just the four of us. We talked a lot about that. Of like, and all of us noticed something new. That was pretty exciting. Yeah, like, yeah right. We all got a new perspective, which is phenomenal. We've all seen the movie. What like probably fifty times, right. like at least. So that was cool. Yeah, it's a lot of Anakin's. Like, a lot of Anakin's toys that he had in his room yeah. Yeah, back yeah, on Tatooine right. that we pointed out that were it was fun. Yeah, first a lot of background we... <laughs> stuff. Yeah, but they, yeah. it's it did it did for that movie what these roundtables do for me for the books. It just really oh, yeah. broadens the perspective. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And a lot of it too was that's kind of just gawking over like, oh, this is so cool, or oh, this John Williams is so great, which is also fitting because y'all today as we're recording is John Williams, I believe, 89th birthday. Happy birthday, Maestro. Nice. You're a legend. Yeah. Uh, and thanks for listening. Sure. Thanks for being a fan. 
Um, <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, John Williams may not be a fan, but you know who is? Our patron of the week, who we do have in this outline right now, who did write in, uh, especially for this episode, and who Charles is now going to read in his luscious COVID scrub-filled voice, if you wouldn't mind, my friend. Listen, <laughs> you guys have three weeks in a row now. You've let me read these out, and I really appreciate it. I think, I think it's really catching on. This week's patron of the week is Alexander, who says, Hey, everyone. My name is Alexander. I'm from France. My best friend introduced me to Star Wars when we were in high school. I had never seen the movies, and he talked me into doing an episode one to six marathon, and from this day on, Star Wars has been my favorite thing to talk about. Well, this and my cats. Anakin has been my favorite (laughs) character from the very beginning, and I like any story with him, though I still can't get over the end of Revenge of the Sith. I love the tragic ending as much as I hate it, and this is probably and will always be my favorite Star Wars story. I also really like Charles Soule's The Rise of Kylo Ren, which I find echoes Anakin's story very nicely. I found Utini not long after starting to watch The Clone Wars, wandering the internet, looking for a timeline with all the canon books, and I quickly joined the server afterwards. I subscribed to the Patreon because I was very interested in the Star Wars Archives podcast with Jose and Trev, and also because Jose told us he would saw a boat in half. I missed that story. <laughs> um, <laughs> since then, I do my best thing. to listen since then i do my best to listen to every podcast and join the live streams even though it's in the middle of the night for me utini is such an amazing community all about positivity and respect and the staff is always very thoughtful and i'm so grateful to be a part of it thank you for all your work as we are talking light of the jedi my question for the hosts is if there ever was a live action movie or tv show who would you cast for avar chris Ooh, I. That's, I'm bad at these. I love. I'm very bad at these. I love uh, these. But first of all, Alexander, thank you. If, if you've been on the Utini Discord at all, you know Alexander well. You are all over that place. Um, always having amazing takes, uh, fun conversations, and thank you for being part of our Patreon family. As far as Avar Chris goes, I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna throw out my uh, my gut feeling that I always see, uh, and that is. Um, uh, Jodie Whittaker from Doctor Who, ah, I see a lot. I love her as as Avar Chris. I think it's, it might be the British thing as well. I'll totally own that. Uh, yeah. it seems very Avar Chrissy, but yeah, I'm gonna go Jodie Whittaker. What do you guys think? Mm. I think Jodie Whittaker think... really is the best answer. I think she kind on the cover kind of looks like Jodie Whittaker. Dead serious. Mm-hmm. But if we're no, just I, picking I someone who I enjoy as an actress who could pull that off, I'm gonna say Brie Larson. Also great. Oh, yeah. Also Damn it. That. That's what I was going <laughs> to choose, Charles. Yeah, Brie Larson might also be fun. I would love to see her in a Star Wars film. That was the one I was going to choose. Uh, what about Sarah? Is it Chalk? T-H-A- from Scrubs? L-K-E? From Scrubs. Yeah. Roseanne from Scrubs. It looks just like her. It looks just like her on the cover. So I always see her whenever I when I look at the cover of Light of the Jedi. I dig it. I dig it. I'll, I'll throw. I'll throw in one final one too, as a little uh, a ringer, maybe. Uh, Charlize Theron, I think, would also be really fun. Get some of her Furiosa action going on in there. I f- she always finds her way into a Star Wars fan cast for somebody. <laughs> yeah. Dude, it's gotta do- well, she can like shave half her head and be like chastachatic, or she can like grow it out and be like a meditative Jedi. Like whatever. She's, she's got the range. Is what I'm saying. Heather in the chat says Chris Hemsworth. <laughs> <laughs> It has to be a Chris. Oh, Avar Chris. Yes. There it is. Um, 
You can clip that if you'd like. Anyway, thank you, Alexander. <laughs> and again, uh, thank you to everyone on our Patreon. Keep an eye out. You could be our very next patron of the week. All right, an abbreviated Star Wars Weekly Roundup is coming your way this week. To start out, I wanted to give a quick shout-out to some of our favorite creators in the comics Star Wars world. Kevin Scott and Daniel Jose Older both had High Republic comics come out this past week, as well as Charles Soule's Star Wars mainline. Uh, we got the High Republic number two and the High Republic Adventures number one. Uh, did you guys check this one out yet? Did you guys check out uh, High Republic Adventures specifically? I have I not. I've been off the. I have been off the uh, the physical comic train for a while now. Oh, it is solidly good. I I am on the the Comicsology subscription myself. Um, mm. But to everyone that hasn't maybe read the Star Wars Adventures comics lately, uh, because they are geared towards a slightly younger audience, highly recommend checking out um, High Republic Adventures number one because. I mean, it's more High Republic content, need we say more. But Daniel Jose Older did a great job writing some awesome new Jedi characters. There's a cool parallel storytelling technique that I won't spoil if you haven't read it. And the art is seriously great. Um, some of the younger books can sometimes suffer from artists that aren't necessarily uh, to like the stylistic choices of older readers. But this book, the line work is great. The colors are vibrant. Uh, you got the Nile coming in. And... A certain character that we're talking about later might make an appearance at some point in the comic. So uh, I don't know how far, as far as physical issues that they're still sold out. But digitally, you can always head to Comixology, grab Star Wars High Republic Adventures number one. And, of course, that Kevin Scott that comic continues to be phenomenal because he's, uh, he's real good at Star Wars. And additionally, I wanted to make a big announcement today on our weekly roundup because we had our We Arch All of the Republic contest this past week. It was amazing. Y'all sent in some incredible pieces of High Republic artwork. And we did feature the top three. So, Corey slash Wes, whoever's pressing buttons and doing stuff, if you could put up our three finalists for our We Art All the Republic giveaway, we had the following. Number yes, one, uh, who'd we have? <clears throat> here, let's swap let's, it over here to the do screen it. share. Here's the first one. There we go. Our first one was uh, Imri. And Vern from A Test of Courage by Sky82739079 was one of our finalists. Loved that. Here's the next one. Oh, Stellan Geos and Avar Chris by Coffee Darlin, uh, which is how I want to greet everyone in the South for the rest of my life. It's okay. We'll Coffee it. Darlin. Coffee Darlin? <laughs> Great. I can't wait to get more Stellan. I'm so excited for him. Oh. And of course, uh, Light of My Life. Loading Great Storm uh, by At. Yalaki art? Yalaki art? Something like that. Um, but our winner was. Ba -ba -da -ba. Boom! Loading Great, <laughs> Loading Great Storm, Storm himself. Uh, this this blew me away that this was a, a fan art yes. contribution. This is, this is incredible. This, is this looks like it could be on the cover of a book. Yes. Like for real. Phenomenal. This is very, very well done. I mean, yeah. look at the shading and all the shadows in it. Yeah, just that alone. It's just incredible yes. stuff, and and I got. I know things about art. Look at the the lines <laughs> yeah, and the, right. the colors. Yes, Com composition <laughs> and such. Cop yes, right. yes. Uh, Silhouette lighting. <laughs> lighting is a word. <laughs> well, I will say um, our our Twitter, uh, our the official Twitter account of Utini will be in contact soon. We'll get your your shipping information because we're going to send you that prize pack, uh, including the special edition book, the shirt, the socks. Of course, the socks and the pin uh, for Light of the Jedi. And everyone, keep your eyes out because, oh, my God, are we going to do more fan art stuff in the future? We have to. This was too much fun. Absolutely. 
Um, so congratulations to everyone that submitted pieces. And I hope that all of y'all got some good phone backgrounds, too. <clears throat> Go to our Twitter. They're all still up there. Grab them. Put them on your phone. Uh, follow these artists. And y'all keep drawing Star Wars art. We absolutely love it. All right, last piece of news for our weekly roundup. We're going to go through real quick before we talk about some merch and talk more about Markeon Row. <laughs> yeah, get ready. It's coming. Uh, with some news out of Del Rey this week that, guys, we got to say goodbye to, to an old friend, to, uh, to someone that's been there through the highs and the lows, someone that got us through uh, middle school, high school, that, that, uh, that got beat up a bit but always came fighting back. That's the mass market paperback, everybody. Um, don't Hello, <laughs> darkness, my old friend. Delray <laughs> uh, announced that uh, the traditional mass market paperback is no more going forward with Star Wars canon novels. What, what did you guys think about this? This kind of came out of nowhere. It is very interesting. Did, <laughs> yeah. We talked about it before the show. What's the new size? The new size is The trade is what? paperback. So, like, your more traditional full-size paperback book. Um, they didn't put exact inches up, but it's going to be... Uh, Delray, once they get like into more, get more uh, stock in of paperbacks, so they're gonna put up visual comparisons on their Twitter. But if you've gotten mm. like a traditional paperback that's post-release, that's kind of what they're gonna be going with lately. Because I feel like we've gotten the hardback, the trade paperback, and then the mass market is like the life cycle of a book. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. right? Um, like any Legends book you get now is gonna be mass market. But but yeah, they're getting which are the small ones. Oh, we we have a picture. Why don't yeah, we just show the damn picture? This is a picture yes. from our so, our own Meg Dowell with all the diff- all the different sizes right. of Star Wars books. Right. So the mass market paperbacks are the two on the far right, right? Like there's the Legends mass market and then the Canon mass market, right? I believe the, the and, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, isn't that correct? Sorry, I'm taking a drink. I think so. I think so. I think the the one on the far right is the mass market for sure. That's like all books eventually yes. go there. So unfortunately. I know we have at least some... in, in legends. In legends, have the canon books have been in the taller version. So yeah, although I don't, yes. I know we do have some people. Uh, we do have some friends on the team. Like Trev, I think was getting rid of all his hardcovers to go completely mass market, and now he that that's going to be impossible. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> what, a, what a nightmare! <laughs> oh my god, that's ridiculous. And, did, and correct me if I'm yeah, wrong. Didn't the, Jared the... make shelves specifically so they would hold mass market paperbacks? <laughs> I'm pretty oh, sure he no. did, which is very unfortunate, which is why don't be obsessive with that type of thing because it will bite you. <laughs> I think the I'm pretty sure the new size is closer to Rebel Rising if it's not the new size. The young adult books come in paperback, which have all new covers, sick covers, by yeah. the way. That is a gorgeous I, cover. Oh, I love like, it. Seriously. Um, and then the Kenobi book you're seeing there, that's a normal hardcover. So yeah. it's it's somewhere, I don't know the exact size. We measured them and looked at them, and we had this huge discussion slash argument about it in Slack. But I think <laughs> I think the new size is either equal to or very close to the young adult paperback yeah. size, which is fine. Yeah, I mean, stur- what do you guys think? I, I like it. They're sturdier. They Honestly, they're, they're made for more wear and tear. Like, the mass markets are great yeah. for, like, throwing in a backpack and taking with you, mm-hmm. let's be clear. But as far as, like, putting on the shelf... I like the respect of, of the of the full size paperback. Yeah. Um, also, I just want to shout out Meg on our team who put that photo up for flexing that you got a Kenobi hardcover. We get it. Yeah. Word. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Uh, if you're a fan, at I'll... the end of the day, at the end of the day, it's Star Wars books, and who cares? There was like negative stuff on Twitter because, of course, uh, like people are gonna argue about what the best size paperback. Who gives a yeah. crap? Why do you hate legends? It's like what? What is oh, that? Oh my to god! Do with it? Whatever. Anyway, it's just. Stop it. Just up. stop. Who cares? If you're building bookshelves. Be aware. Mass market paperback. You, you did us great. Um, and also, if you're interested, the 
the Star Wars Delray Twitter went into a little bit of how like the publishing industry as a whole is going that way, and there's always like fun publishing facts up there uh, if you so choose. All right. That's enough news. That's enough talk. That's enough updates. You're here for one thing and one thing only, and it's my new hair. And if you were here for a second thing, it would be Light of the Jedi. We have part two of the Light of the Jedi roundtable. Part two of three, I might add, our very first three-part roundtable. And we're going to have to pick up this week where we left off last week. And that is with none other than Mark and Roe. And Excellent. I was waiting for Good. you. I was waiting for you. Bring it on. I'm excited. To talk. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you're making my skin crawl, bro. I don't like this. <laughs> oh. Have you been practicing, honestly, in the mirror? Oh, every, every morning. Absolutely. Okay. I figure. Yeah. I figure. I just say it three times and then see if he appears. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's let's hope that he doesn't appear because we need to talk about everything that Mark and Roe did in this novel. And it gets pretty dark. It really does. Um, you know, towards the end of the novel, we see that Mark and Rose kind of been plotting everything the whole time. Things that we didn't even necessarily realize he was meaning to happen. He apparently had been planning the entire time. He actually tricked Lorna D's crew, one of the Tempest Runners, into kidnapping the Blythes or the settlers from Elfrona, and then tricked the Jedi in trying to stop them. So that's a major Palpatine move. He sent... Kasev and his Tempest into a trap to essentially be wiped out by the Republic Defense Coalition. Um, he then uses Kasev's death to restructure the hierarchy of the entire Nile, placing himself now definitively at the top. He captures Loden Greatstorm. Yeah, captures <gasps> Loden Greatstorm. Let that sink in. Imprisons him <laughs> aboard his ship and steals his lightsaber for himself. So, y'all, my question is, is Mark and Ro- this feels ridiculous. Is Mark and Ro an effective <laughs> villain? And what did you think about the reveal that he had planned all of this? Can I, I can it. I start with just a, a shout out to Stephanie Mack in the chat? Because she says what I thought. It made the second read through awesome. Cause it's mm. one of those things, once you know he's plotting it all, when I when I because I told you guys I read it first and then I went back into the audiobook, when you hear the voice of the person like Saying Jedi, go save them, knowing that it's Markian the second time. It's like, <gasps> that was, that was <laughs> like it, it's yeah. just so cool. Um, but yeah, no. To to answer the question, uh, yes, Charles, I believe he was very effective. Uh, <laughs> and he's terrifying. He's an incredible villain. It's one of the it's it maybe the best original villain we've gotten in books in ye- years. Loved him. Yeah, one yeah. of the ones that that actually can last for. A series of books are the ones that are methodical like mm-hmm. this, not the mm-hmm. ones that do like little scant jobs here and there. They're the mm-hmm. ones that can really think out these plots and, and, yep. and weave yeah. them into some kind of like crazy plot. Absolutely. He has a, uh, a slow, calculated ruthlessness about him, too, that I think makes him like really entertaining. So I, I'm all in for Mark Unruh. He's, he's a sick villain, yeah. like really, really good, really good. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I think one of the things that he did in this book that really blew me away and I think really shows how conniving he is. It was not cutting off Kasev's hand and telling him to pick it up before he leaves. Don't forget your hand. That was ridiculous. (laughs) All Um, time. It was how, not the fact that he imprisoned Loden Greatstorm, but how he imprisoned Loden Greatstorm. And I think Mm -hmm. we have to talk about that. Uh-huh. He he has 
you know, Loden in a physical cage, right? But he's surrounded by all of these other prisoners who are periodically being shocked. Mm-hmm. And they're in a ton right. of pain. They're suffering terribly. And it's the fact that they're suffering that's actually keeping Loden imprisoned. Like, he feels that suffering so distinctly and so deeply through the force that he's rendered entirely powerless. And we've never seen anything like this, have we? I don't think so. Not, um, not to I, this level. We yeah. have seen various various suppression methods of the Jedi, like the, uh, what are those creatures that Thrawn, like, carries around in a backpack? Oh, the Islamiri. Yield- yeah. Yeah. Okay, I would Salamiri. not pronounce it like that, but yeah, the, the salamanders, <laughs> the salamanders the of the force. Salamanders. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I don't really know what they were. I always picture them as plants in the books, but I guess they're not. I think they're like lizards or mm-hmm. some shit. Iguanas. Yeah, there it is. There it is. <laughs> Backpack iguanas. Yeah. yeah, basically, uh, basically that, right? But yeah, the the idea that like you're sort of suppress the Jedi's powers by uh, like surrounding him with the dark side is very interesting. I mean, that's how I interpret it. What did you guys think? Is it like, is it the dark side? Is that what it is? I mean, I mean, I, I think, I think I it's kind of like when you see, when we saw from the beginning in new hope, when Alderaan gets destroyed, Obi-Wan literally feels the necessity to sit down. Cause it hits him so hard. When during order 66, Yoda drops his cane, you know, like when you're around that kind of pain, the force and you're tuned into the force like that, it just hits you. And I think Loden, it soul does a masterful job throughout the book, obviously seeding in how connected all the Jedi are to the force. And that gives them their strength, but also clearly is something that Markeon uses to such effectiveness to really cripple Loden. And and honestly, one thing it made me think of that I had never thought about before guys is Anakin. When Anakin turns into Vader, right? In episode three, Mm -hmm. and he kills the Jedi and slaughters the younglings he still has to be tuned into the Force enough that he feels all that suffering like a Jedi, but he yeah. has to then block it out. Or else, like, yeah. that, like how horrific is it, would it be to be going from the light to the dark side if Loden can barely move because of a couple people being shocked? You know? Yeah. Like, mm. just, just the pain in the Force, I think, is something that we don't talk about a whole lot, um, even though it was seated in those first movies and sold it brilliantly through Markian and Loden. Yeah, it's almost like he's it's a drug, like he's being drugged mm. by this pain that's being flushed through him. So he can't think, he can't think properly, he can't think yeah. clearly. He's, he has all this this pain and these uh, these feelings going through him that makes him not be able to think about how the hell he's going to get out of the prison. You know, he's always yeah. just feeling loathsome. And it's a genius by Markion as well because he's not physically mm-hmm. hurting Loden. Like Loden, like when he needs whatever he needs Loden for, which is still fascinating because like. I don't know. I think that that's the fun cliffhanger, right? He'll right. still keep him in physically okay shape. He's not killing him, but he is neutering his abilities. And I'm like, oh god, he like Markion has such a fundamental understanding of the Jedi to be able to pull that off. Ugh. Just it chills gonna, the spine. I'm gonna use that in my yeah. everyday speech. You're neutering my abilities <laughs> and you're <laughs> Per, <laughs> per, per my last email, you said in an email, both <laughs> <laughs> the same thought, but then in an email. Oh my god! Oh man! 
All right. Well. Yeah, you know, I think I think I think I had to we have to talk about the the method of the torture too is absolutely like horrifying, mm-hmm. right? Like and I love that the book like in his little monologue just totally blew past who these people even are in these cages. It's like, "Oh, yeah, we just picked them off somewhere out in the outer rim, Ooh. whatever. Who cares what they are? The per- poor point is they serve a purpose." Yeah. And it's like, "Yeah. Dude, that is dark <laughs> as hell." Yeah. Like this whole this whole area of this ship is designed for this very purpose like whoa yeah. come on yeah like you need living bodies to perform yes. this one thing mm-hmm. to right and, and, and like during the monologue that he was explaining like the plan and stuff it was like talking about like a scream would interrupt him and i was like dude this is very scary uh, like, yeah i love it not good it's so sad i mean i am a sucker <laughs> for a, a villain that has such a singular focus like Markion's ship his mission his rise through the Nile, his dealing with Marie Santeca are all about taking down the Jedi. And you find that out at the end and you're like, like his, his ability to, to take every part of his evil life and put them all into a singular focus like that is just really yeah. freak. It's just cool. It's just cool. <laughs> it is. Yeah. Yeah. I, I agree. And I think it's really interesting that Loden is imprisoned by these random people just like you're saying Corey. they're just to use mace windu's favorite word they're just citizens they're just <laughs> citizens. but it's it's the jedi's job especially during this time period to take on the suffering of anyone who who has it right like it's their job to go and try to fix that but it's really cool to see it not just be the suffering of a situation like he's physically feeling the suffering he's literally taking on their suffering i think that's really Mm. incredible and you also said something cool you were talking about like what why is markion doing this what is his history that he has such a vendetta against the jedi and there are a couple of quotes that i really wanted to bring up because this is still a mystery we don't have these answers and we might not for some time but there's some really interesting little points that were made in the in the last few pages on page 350, Markian Rowe says, I never told you much about my family, and I doubt I ever will, but I came from something I wanted to escape. This ship was part of it, actually, until it all went bad. My father and I both got out. We worked hard, and we had a plan for the pass, for the Nile, for all sorts of things. It was always going to be like this, since the day I was born. I thought I escaped. I didn't, though. Not really. So that's incredible. And then one more quote from page 361. He says, none of them had ever seen his face before. It didn't matter that they did now. None of them knew who he was. He wasn't Markian Rowe either. His name was, it didn't matter. Where he came from was gone, other than the lessons it had taught him and few tools he had stolen from it when he left. So there's a huge story to unpack here, but what do y'all think about these little first tantalizing details and, and do you have any <laughs> any thoughts Ooh. any projections who is yes. marky and Rowe? yeah that's the word right I, tantalizing I, I know yeah right? tantalizing I, I really love that like this villain is being established in a way that uh is not being answered immediately right like it's very clear like he's got a big role in like the big picture and the, you know i assume we're going to get his origin story in later books which <laughs> just really puts it puts value what? Ross says he's a Palpatine. <laughs> oh, <shit. laughs> 
I saw that and I tried to cover my mouth so I didn't blurt it. Oh my god, get the hell out of here. <laughs> oh my god, he's a Palpatine. <laughs> Somehow, Palpatine is oh early. <laughs> oh my god. That's hilarious. Uh, uh, yeah, I, I love that we're like setting him up to get his origin story in a, in a later in a later story. Like, like it's it really puts into perspective how large of a villain he is. He's like Thanos, right? It took us movies upon movies to find out who Thanos was in the Marvel Cinematic right. Universe. So, like, I love that. I love build up, and I think that is a uh, you know that sort of build up and and big picture stuff is kind of missing from canon a little bit. Legends was really good at these nine book series mm-hmm. that took nine books to really find out what the villain was about, and that was awesome. That's what hooked me into Star Wars is reading these. It makes the it makes the universe feel enormous when like plot points take forever to get around to. So I love it. Yeah, and I think that's the great point, Corey, that it makes it feel bigger because I think the fact that Mark Yen wasn't like that we didn't end this first book by being like. And his name was actually blah, 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 who is a blah, blah, blah. From the, like, you know, it didn't get all spelled out. Like, right. no, we can take mm-hmm. our time. And I also yeah. love the fact that he's like, you know, his father's gone. His people are gone. His planet's probably gone. So it, it's not like everything about Marquion is forward. Everything about his mission and his life lies in the future of his actions. Um, like, I think he's avenging. Um, who, who was in the chat? Someone asked if we think it's a vendetta. I think there might be something of a vendetta of like, Maybe he comes from either Sith or or someone that the Jedi, you know, either abandoned or something like that. I think that's totally possible. But I don't think we're going to see Markeon, like, reuniting with his his people or, or you know, going after his blood right. I, I love the fact that he's all about the future is the destruction of the Jedi, and I will continue to make it happen because I have manifested all this so far. And if he's, a, if he's like, a, a, a gray just cool if he's a brand new species awesome because i frankly i think charles soul has written such a great character that i don't i don't need to lean on him being a certain species in order to make him cool you know what i mean i, th- I feel like certain species yeah. in star wars are by default cool when they show up and we get excited and it does a little legwork he could be a brand new something or a, a freaking human for all i care because he's interesting as a character first yeah, yeah, totally. And we we read what three quarters of the book until we figure out we this this quote was put in there. None of them knew who he was. He wasn't Mark oh, Yonro yeah. either. And yeah. so we, I mean, we thought we kind of knew this guy. We're like this guy, this villain is awesome. You know, he's doing this. He's the eye. He um he's now the leaders. Like now we have a good idea. And then he says, it, it his name was. It doesn't matter. So it's a completely different person now. Like, it, this blows my mind, kind of mirroring what Cheryl said. WTF. And what, what a flex by soul, too. <laughs> that, I think that's one of those lines you write as an author and you go, <laughs> Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we thought we knew he. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Can I just say how much willpower it took to not read this quote? Say he wasn't Mark and Rowe either. His name was John Cena. <laughs> <laughs> No, I think the two most interesting little parts here are one, he says where he came from was gone other than the lessons that it taught him, implying maybe he's from a civilization or a culture or a planet that has been destroyed. And there's another quote that I didn't read that's from page 367 that speaks towards Rose motivation. And it says his family had trusted the Jedi once and it had cost them everything. 
So there's some old conflict that we don't yet know about. And obviously all of that's going to get fleshed out. But he has a, a very big reason to have hatred towards the Jedi, it would seem, and to be taking it out on Loden Greatstorm. So... Hopefully, Loden can hold out yeah. between now and when we see him next. Well, and, and because also, I uh, correct me if I'm wrong. This may be coming up later, but Loden kept saying like, "I know you, and I know your voice," and I and I, I got the feeling that it wasn't mm. only because of like the the fake out, right? Because he did do the, you got to save them. Like Markian does that little switch. But did you guys get the feeling that Loden like is starting to remember maybe what this guy's family might be? Like maybe Loden mm. was a part of the whatever it was that kind of ruined his parents. Hmm. That would be interesting. Mm -hmm. Um, I I didn't really get that. I didn't really get that feeling myself that I I thought it was just the, like the reference to uh, being on the planes or whatever. Totally. Might might be, might be. It's like kind of hit me in a way of like, I don't know. Hmm. Yeah. I don't remember that part at all. <laughs> All right, guys. Well, Wes did read the book. We, he says, "To be completely honest with you, <laughs> I think it was a load. What book are we talking about? Yeah, it was a it was a load and great storm part. So I did uh, start to tattoo it on my body. I think that's legally what I have to do now. Whenever he shows up, <laughs> well, there are a lot of questions still to be answered, and we have a lot of questions to keep answering ourselves. We're going to move into the overarching questions, y'all, and we have plenty of them. All right. I, Real quick I before we do that, though, um, I, I yeah. do want to say, um, uh, Charles, you did oh a very good job with the characters, <laughs> and I thought your questions were intense and proper, and I'm glad you didn't reach too far into my own lineage to spoil anything. I'm going to digress further on in the story. Thank you. <laughs> my name is Marshawn <laughs> Raw. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Very uncomfortable. That's it. Yes. Now. Very, Thank you that's, so much. That's my you're right. You're welcome. You're welcome. <laughs> Y'all, what kind of reception have you seen within the fandom for this novel? That's the first thing I want to address because it it was unique, I think, and it was important. It's been pretty positive, I think, for the most part. Donks. I think everybody's very anxious to have something new, right? Mm-hmm. So I don't know. It's, it's it's been very good. I've seen I've seen mostly very positive stuff, like. Um, like it seems like the vast majority for once is pretty much all positive. Like every time I've seen anything negative, like on Reddit or Facebook or something like that, it's like, there's like a bunch of people jumping to its defense. So like, I think it's been well received. What about you guys? Yeah. I, I baseline has been good. I think even like people are like, Oh, it was my favorite book, but I really liked it. It seems to be like the minimum I've seen. <clears throat> which is also fine. I mean, like, obviously, we we all, as you heard in the first episode, scored this very high. We were all very high on this book. If this wasn't your favorite Star Wars book, that's totally cool. Um, we, guess we, right. we haven't said that this episode yet. But generally, I've seen very good to, oh, my God, like, euphoric. And I think right. that it's, it has been a while since I have seen th- that volume of people at this height. And it's been continuing. Um, like, it just celebrated its fourth week in a row on the New York Times bestseller list which is pretty amazing. Uh, I feel like people have been talking about it continuously because we, we get book hype sometimes. Like, Chaos Rising came out, and we're like, this is great. And then, it, you know, it falls off when we go to the next thing. I feel like this has stayed around, and that might be on the initiative, but also the quality of this book seems to be pretty pretty dang high. And like you were saying, Corey, a lot of the negatives are from people that were angry beforehand because it wasn't High Republic yeah. and Kathleen Kennedy, which is muted all anyway. 
That's right. Yeah. I, and kind of what like what Ross is saying is like people are just happy to have a fresh start from the Skywalker saga. Yeah. Something completely new. Something where anything and any everything can happen. And they're just excited to see that. And I haven't seen I haven't seen any any bad remarks or I haven't seen any criticism, um, a horrible criticism at all on Twitter that when I scroll through, so yeah, I don't something. dive deep into it. So I think that, yeah. yeah, it does say something. It's just exciting. It's, ex- there's just such a, it's, it's joy and excitement, which is, I think what Charles Soule tried to put into it. Every interview, he's like, this is a joyous time where the Jedi are at their peak. And I think this is a joyous time in Star Wars publishing where Star Wars books are at their peak. Yeah. Yeah, it definitely feels like a monumental shift, probably on the same level as moving from the original trilogy to the prequel trilogy. I mean, that was huge, and we don't talk Mm -hmm. about that too often because, you know, we didn't necessarily experience the OT for years and years and years before we got the prequels, but it really is that kind of a shift. So um, we we have to appreciate that, I think. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Now, another thing that was unique about this project is the first few chapters of this book were spent introducing relatively well-fleshed-out characters that were then unceremoniously killed, like all of them. What, yeah. what purpose do you think those chapters serve Shouldn't be for laughing, sorry. No, I mean, they're all dead. They're like super dead. That's <laughs> all, all, all in the delivery. What, what purpose... Did these chapters serve then for the reader? If if we're going to be introduced to these characters and then they're going to be killed and we never hear from them again, what what was the purpose? I don't know. Maybe to show that they ain't playing around. I don't know. <laughs> I, yeah. Essentially, yes, right? They, yeah. They, if you kill off a an, a Jedi, if you kill off like if you kill off very important people, then it says that this is a really big deal. It's almost like the first season of Game of Thrones, and everybody's pissed off about it. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> so um, it makes them a big deal. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll get a little hippie about it. Um, that whereas I, th- I think those first chapters kind of set the tone that the Jedi set in the universe, because the Jedi in the High Republic, based on this book, value all life equally, right? Like, Loden is like, I will save this random citizen on Elfrona just as quickly as I'll save my own Padawan. Or as I'll, like, it doesn't matter, right, who you are. You are worthy of respect, and you are a light in the Force, period. And I think that's the way Charles Soule treated his characters. Like, Lena Haddock deserved as much backstory and as much respect in her one chapter as Bel Zedifar deserved in his entire book. You know, and I think that that is something that we don't think about a lot when it comes to writing because obviously the main characters are going to get the flesh out and they're going to get the extra stuff and that's great. But seeing now how, how effective it is when every character is given that respect, every character is valued just as if they were in, in the light side of the forest in this book really kind of made it all that more effective. Yeah, totally agree. Totally agree. All right, all right. I like that. I like that explanation. It's almost like we are all the Republic on, I don't know, on like a real-world level, right? We have to respect all these characters because we are all the Republic. Now, my other question, and this feels like a little bit of a loaded question, but this was one of the few complaints that I saw about this book, and so I think it's important that we talk about it. But the actual logistics of both the Great Disaster and then subsequently all of the emergences – 
did all of that make sense to you? Like essentially, just to clarify, a ship hits another ship in a hyperspace lane, and then mm-hmm. pieces of that ship fly out, uh, you know, along this hyperspace lane into random parts of the galaxy, traveling at light speed to collide with other things. Like, did all of that make sense to yeah. you? And how people clar- interacted with them? Yeah. Yeah. Go ahead. Uh, just, a, just a clarification before we answer. Was that before the the space alien wizard took his lightsaber and put it in a shoulder-mounted gun on a horse made of magnetic hooves? Yes, this was. Before. So. Okay, okay, cool. Yeah, just making sure. Like, no, it didn't bother. Yeah. What do you mean? <laughs> <laughs> Did yeah. the logistics you... of bother me about the what? <laughs> That's what I was gonna say too. It's like, to, like with, I, with I respect. gave this a perfect with respect. Yeah, <laughs> <Sorry>. I will. Uh, <laughs> I gave this book a perfect ten, and I would never take away points for um, like vibe what's the word originality plausibility yeah plausibility realism i'm never gonna take away points from that because if we've talked about this a thousand times if you start going down the plausibility rabbit hole in star wars it's a losing battle because yeah, none of it none of it is plausible at all well space uh, is know, silent I, I, so all those battle sounds are are wrong <laughs> yes i i will answer I will answer this, Charles, in that I did find it a little confusing, not necessarily that it bothered me, but a little confusing. Um, for example, like they're moving at near light speed, but also it's not close enough to light speed that you can't travel at that speed in, in real space. Like I was a little confused by that. I think like the uh, who is the you know the cap the captain and his and his wife or whatever that were involved in like using the magnetic arm thing to like capture that one yeah, ship and stuff pizza. was like yeah. Yeah, yeah exactly I I found that I found that a little odd because like I don't know like it seems like there was just a lot of contradiction I think around it like about like they were able to predict where things were gonna come out but still it was moving so fast that you couldn't really mm-hmm. deal with it I don't know I, I found it a very a little confusing but. Maybe that's what, how it was supposed to be. Yeah. It's like hyperspace in Star Wars is confusing. It's like yeah. the turtles in Finding Nemo that when when he, he fell out of it, <laughs> Rogers, <laughs> you know, he's like, oh no, he slows down a little bit. Yeah, just it's fine. Star Wars is Finding Nemo. It's all Disney, is what I'm saying. It's all it's all a corporation. Um, no, but I, I hear you on that, and I'm looking in the chat here. Um, there's a couple people saying, yeah, like it totally. Some of it got a little confusing. Um, the light speed thing, like you said, Corey, is some, something some people are bringing up. But Ross, of course, brings up one of our original hashtags, manage expectations. Uh, that's right. There it yeah, is. That's yeah. right. And I, I'm like I'm like totally fine with them, you know, just from a personal note, I'm totally fine with them using hyperspace to do what they want yeah. in Star Wars because hyperspace is is ill-defined in Star Wars. It's not like Star Trek where there is like a rules for how it works, right? It's it's much more ill-defined in Star Wars. So I don't care. If you want to use hyperspace to blow up planets or blow up Star Destroyers, dude, I don't give a crap. It's awesome and it looks cool on screen and sounds cool and whatever, man. Let's do it. I'm here for the ride. Okay. So. James says, what's less realistic in Star Wars? Lightspeed or a man named Kevin? Yeah, that's a good point. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Yeah, no, I I agree. I think that the speed of the emergences is like kind of the biggest thing. Like, how were you? How are you? How are you thinking about what to do for like twenty pages if this thing was moving at light speed towards a planet? You know what I mean? <laughs> like that. It was not. Yes. It was not slow it down by capturing it with a magnetic arm. That yeah, I can say right. that. Like. I figured they would try to smash something into it or something. Well, I don't it's, know. Ki- it's kind of like that whole thing in Star Wars is like if you are thinking, if you're reading a Star Wars book, 
and you are like for 20 pages thinking uh how fast is it actually going towards that sun instead of being like all the jedi in a system are focusing together through the force towards this one objective and listening to each other like then that the, you're missing the then point. honestly yeah this book honestly isn't for you and that and that's fine like if, if that is how your brain works then straight up how do you might, read or watch any yeah. star wars if you get it might not be hooked a thing on that for you. kind of that's, thing. that's okay angrily. But, <laughs> yes angrily yeah. oh this sucks i'm gonna keep watching <laughs> it didn't bug me charles did not bug good me. all right good i think it's important we address you know some of the things that people have to say that that did bother them though also i get it i do get yeah, that. yeah i do yeah. get yeah. that some people are irritated by by light speed a little bit but whatever. and if you're bug, like yeah. a physics I don't know. Scientists, if you are Sheldon from <laughs> Physics like, the Big Bang Theory, I don't know. Uh, I get it. I get it if that bugs you because like medical stuff happens in these books, and I'm like, okay, like you know, that's fine. But so, all right, back huge, to- uh, huge, huge, huge tangent. When I was in college, I was in physics. Uh, I was taking physics when um, Gravity came out, and my, my wow, you're older than I thought. Hold on, when with, Gravity with, with came the out, the concept Gravity, Isaac Newton, <laughs> yeah. one of your classmates. <laughs> It's always been around. I get everything done, guy. I'm actually a god and I don't sleep. Yes. Uh, No, the movie Gravity with Sandra Bullock came out, and uh, my my physics teacher was like like an astrophysicist, right? He was all into space and all this sort of stuff. And I I remember I asked him what he thought of Gravity because I ran into him at the movie theater, and he was like, "Oh, it's the most." implausible physics thing I've ever seen in my life. It's absolutely ridiculous. None of the things are the same level. Like, he went on this huge <laughs> rant. It was really funny. He's just throwing up in a, ba- in a paper bag as he comes out of the movie theater. <laughs> exactly. Like, are you okay? Oh, did, you, did you just watch that hokey crap? <laughs> <laughs> For real though, that's, I always always think of that guy every time that uh, somebody asks me about plausibility of space stuff because I don't understand any of it. It's like yeah. uh, the m- number of people on the planet that do are probably very few. So yeah, I'm gonna use that explanation for the rest of my life. And and, and I'm talking about Sandra Bullock gravity, not Isaac Newton gravity. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! Uh, so movies suck. By the way, don't ask me about it. No. Noted. Dang. Not every character <laughs> in this book was a Jedi or Nile. And that's really all the people that we've talked about. But, Corey, you just brought up Joss and Pika Adrian. And we did have a lot of, quote-unquote, normal Republic citizens like <laughs> them, like Kevin Tarr, um, <laughs> like Captain Bright and the, Anor- and the uh, Aurora Nine crew. Um, and right. each of those characters did his or her own part in fighting against the great disaster and the emergencies. Why do you think it was important to include them so predominantly in this story? Why not just focus on the Jedi if this is called Light of the Jedi? We are all the Republic, right? I mean, I think that's yeah. Yeah. that's the that's the easy answer is that this book is so intensely about the entire universe coming together to solve issues and in order to do that, you need the whole universe. Uh, Cheryl says in the chat, they refer to the Jedi as space wizards, and I loved it. I did as well, and I think that's fun <laughs> yeah. sometimes for us to remember there are people in this universe that don't see Jedi all the time and that can mm-hmm. look on them with wonder and things. And I think that yeah. that sense of wonder and amazement and sometimes confusion and fear, like, can they do that? Can like that? Some of the conversations between Joss and the people of like, hey, you can move things without touching it, right? Like, yeah. awesome. Like, that kind of human nature was really cool. And to see that the universe was going to be saved by Jedi, but it was also going to be saved by scientists. It was going to be saved by politicians compromising. Like, 
there were multiple people that had to work together to solve a problem, uh, which is a beautiful message, frankly. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'm all about it. I, I love getting background character stuff. You guys have heard me talk about that on the show before. Mm -hmm. Of like, um, I think it brings legitimacy to like the state of the galaxy to get, you know, input from politicians and normal people. And I really appreciated that. Um, I think it helps establish the scene and the setting a, a great deal. Mm -hmm. um, like you said, the we are all the republic. That was brought up by everybody, so it's clear that even though we're on the in the outer rim, that they get it and they're like they're paying attention mm -hmm. uh, to the state of the republic and. Um, that's not really like that in a lot of other Star Wars books, a lot of other Legends stuff, mm -hmm. right? I'm talking about the Bane trilogy. Is like citizens were all just kind of on the standby of the of the Force users around them. So I'd like to that's see true. it. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm glad you brought that up about uh, Captain Bright and the Aurora Nine crew because when I read that sequence, it's a straight pull from Armageddon. It's 100. Oh my God, uh, you're Bruce right. Willis <laughs> saving Ben Affleck's life and telling him to take care of his little girl now. And I was just like, oh. Wow, <laughs> wow. Captain Bray. Also, yeah. our uh, Nautilin. Uh, haven't seen one of those really? in a hot minute. Yeah. Yeah, he was great. God, it was Armageddon, wasn't it? Definitely. You're sorry. That's, that's the that's the only thing I thought of whenever that was happening. I was like, he's gonna Armageddon it, isn't he? He's like, Yep, he did. Uh, man, I mean I tell you what, uh Light of the Jedi is Armageddon because I sure didn't want to miss a thing. That's for sure. I wonder if any of our listeners you. has uh bingo on their movie reference card yet with finding Nemo, Armageddon, Gravity. <laughs> We'll see what else we can come up with. But I'm glad that, that you brought up We Are All the Republic. And I want to read y'all a relatively long quote, please excuse me, from page 355. And then I have a prompt for you at the end. But I thought this was one of the most beautiful passages in the entire book. And it says this. The Republic was not one world. It was many, each unique in ways large and small. Solving one problem inevitably caused others. There were intractable cultural, historical, economic, and military conflicts among inhabitants of worlds. There were warlords and agitators and malcontents and other less easy-to-handle enemies, plagues and strange magical factions on hidden worlds who believed they would conquer the galaxy and, yes, even hyperspace anomalies. But the key was this, and Chancellor So believed it to her very soul and it made it the cornerstone of her entire government. You could not solve those problems individually. It was ridiculous to even try. What you could do, however, was make the various peoples of this high era of the Galactic Republic see one another as people, as brothers and sisters and cousins and friends, or if nothing else, just as colleagues in the shared goal of building a galaxy that welcomed all, heard all, and did its best to avoid hurting anyone. Truly tried its best. If you could make that happen, then problems didn't have to be solved. Many would solve themselves because people believed in the Republic more than they believed in their own goals and would be open to that magical word, compromise. That wonderful day had not yet come, not fully, and perhaps it never would, but she would work toward it with every hour and every day she retained in her office. All she wanted, truly, was for five words to live on past her term, even past her life. We are all the Republic. Now, that literally gives me goosebumps reading that out it's loud. so good I mean, it's That's incredible really and and i'm yeah. so glad that you brought this up and of course we had to talk about this extensively but what does the saying we are all the republic really mean what's at the heart of it what is the significance in this book in this time period in star mm. wars as a whole and maybe in our own lives is this even a meta message yeah. for us in our own lives <laughs> is 
You're all Star Wars fans. I don't know. I loved it. Listen, I loved all of the plot development of the Chancellor. Oh, like, Chancellor I, I think Snow. The, Let's go. Oh, my gosh. She is one of the best characters in this book. Yep. I absolutely loved her. And, like, like when it started with this whole We Are All the Republic stuff, I thought it was bullcrap. I did. I thought it was BS. I was like, this is ridiculous. This is going to be some bullcrap politician stuff that we're used to. Uh, in Star Wars, but it's not at all. Like she is for real, like absolutely for real. And uh, I really appreciated that it kept repeating it in such a goofy way. Good Lord. How many times was in this book? Somebody should count. Like it's probably in there 50 times. Like it's seriously, Mm -hmm. they use it a lot and I love it. I think it really, it really, it really talks about the state of the galaxy. Keep coming back to that. The state of the galaxy is really important to establish that early on because when you don't do that, it's really hard to figure out what the context is. I feel like that's what the sequel trilogy missed a little bit, right? Who the hell is the First Order? What exactly is going on, right? Like, it's if you can't put the pieces together, who are the good guys and the bad guys? What is the state of the galaxy? Like, it's hard to, to put the story in context. So, I really love Chancellor So. I love that like she was for real and uh, big fan of her character. Yeah. I mean, I think that at the core of every fantasy epic is people from all walks of life who disagree coming together to face off against a great evil. Right? I mean, Lord of the Rings. It, you think about like elves and dwarves and Hobbit and like, the Council of Elrond. Like, it's all of them coming together despite the fact that they disagree and they yell at each other because there is a threat. And they're like, you're still a human. You're my brother. You're my sister. You're like, I like, like he says in the thing, you're my cousin, you're whatever. And I think that this is a beautiful way just to set the rules of this universe. You know, that this is, this is not a universe where everyone is worried that the Jedi are against me and the politicians are against me and the smugglers are against me. The baseline of this universe is we are all together against the forces of evil, which I think is great. I mean, and to your point, Charles, <laughs> does this at all apply to our modern lives? Um, yeah, yeah, you know, <laughs> a bit, I would say. Um, I mean, obviously, it's inescapable to write anything in a vacuum for any writer. Whatever art you put out as an author or a director or whatever it may be is going to be representative of the time in which you wrote it. So Charles Soule was not in a vacuum the last few years. Um, he is an American writer. So being surrounded by a country in a world that is kind of more pressed on division, even a fandom that is more pressed on division, um, why wouldn't you want to write about this amazing universe where everyone works together no matter what? And there is disagreement in this book. There are people saying, this is how we should do it. This is how we should do it. I don't trust it. I need these droids. I don't trust the Santecas, blah, blah, blah. But at the end, they're like, oh, but we're still going to work together. Like, it's assumed because we are all the Republic. And I think making the battle cry of the first book of a fantasy, of the biggest fantasy franchise in the world, a cry of unity amongst all races, amongst all people, is freaking beautiful at its base and effective and inspiring at the most. Yeah. Yeah. So I liked yeah. it. I 100% agree. It's almost, it, I mean, it's written in the quote, right? It's, um, you could not, you can't solve these problems individually. You need help from other people mm-hmm. to, uh, to come together to make, to, to solve an issue without just being like I, we, we talked about last week is the, the, the whole is greater than the sum of its parts. Yeah. Yeah. I, and I, I had Jake yeah. in the chat, uh, brings it up like, uh, uh, 
I know Jake and Spicen are going back and forth about like the Lord of the Rings thing. It reminds us of you know Gondor lights the beacons, Rohan comes. We haven't talked like light the starlight beacons, which I really enjoy the punnage of that. Um, <laughs> like literally, you're lighting a beacon. The the big, the biggest like end of this book is lighting a beacon to say we are here to help. What do you need? That's like the climax. Is yeah. is now having an aid station. You know, that's different, man. That yeah. is that is a new era. Yeah. 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 Where was Gondor? <laughs> God, I need to watch all those Where this week. Where was Gondor when the beacon fell? <laughs> Never uh, thought I would die fighting next to a Twi'lek. What about next to a friend? <laughs> oh, my God. Yes. Oh, man. All right. Those well, movies are perfect. Anyway. Absolutely. Now, there was a really interesting shift in the... One of the terms, okay, towards the end of this book, and it was on page 360, and it parallels this, we are all the Republic. And it came from our boy, Mark Rowe. And after restructuring the Nile, he actually uses as kind of a, a war cry or, or a cry to uh, rally all of the Nile that are left. He says, we are all the Nile. Now, I saw, yeah, that was yeah. Cool. What What's the intention in that? And do we see that carry forward? It's so cool. I just want to say something real quick. I want to hear what you guys think. It's so cool to see Marky and Roe take this glorious, pure message. We are all the Republic, right? Because it is. there's no irony behind it. It is very much pure and beautiful. And to use it to manipulate the masses of people he, is, he has control over. It is, yeah. He's like, I'm saying the same thing. We are the Nile. Yeah. But he is using it to manipulate them into sacrificing their lives for his sick twit. Like, it is, yeah. it's a beautiful parallel that is freaking chilling, man. Yeah. Magda Life asked a, a good question in the comments about, like, what do we think about, um, is there maybe a point to that, right? Like, the, the Night Hill are, like, all about this freedom of expression in a weird, sick and twisted way, right? Like, is there something, too, that maybe not everybody wants to be the Republic, right? Like, I'm sure. Oh, yeah, yeah, I it's definitely inter- think so, interesting. Yeah. yeah, I like that interesting idea that it has to be. It has to be more than just like, uh, like resources being stretched too thin. Like, how has right. Tatooine been outside of the Republic this entire time? Right? Yeah. Like, it's it's got to be more than just there's not the resources to make it happen. Right? Maybe there's something to that. It's it's a hut controlled world. They don't want. They like the lawlessness. That's how they make their money. Mm-hmm. Right? So, I don't know. It's interesting idea. I mean, yeah, I mean, that's, and I think that's where the Nihil will evolve to, frankly. I mean, that's been like gang warfare through the history of time, right? Is the government doesn't care about you, but we do. And yeah, you have to do some dark stuff for us, but like, we'll give you food. We'll give you protection. Like, that's, that's as old as time, you know? That's right. Yeah. Yeah. It just, it was so intentional. And it really was only said mm-hmm. that one time. And I can't help but wonder if that's going to be used as a rallying cry moving forward for the Nile. So oh, we yeah. will, Definitely. we'll see. But y'all mentioned the Starlight Beacon. We've got to talk about the Starlight Beacon and really all of Chancellor So's uh, great works. That's what they were called. And on page 130, I thought we got probably the best description of what the beacon really is and, and the purpose that it serves. And it says, The Starlight Beacon, finally finished after a lengthy, challenging construction process, the huge way station was built to serve many purposes. A Republic embassy that could also serve as a fortress if necessary a projection of security presence to discourage raider and marauder activity, 
a Jedi outpost containing the largest single contingent outside the Coruscant Temple itself, where they would research and teach and listen for the guidance of the Force. Cultural spaces showcasing the beauty of the many worlds making up the sector, a communications relay that would boost transmission times in the region by a factor of 10, the most state-of-the-art medical facilities in the Outer Rim, and it can open a can of beans in less than three seconds. (laughs) (laughs) That last part may or may not have actually been in the book, but... It's, I mean, this thing is is perfect. It it does everything. It serves every purpose. Like, tell me what your thoughts are on the Starlight Beacon and what you think we're going to see it maybe do moving forward. Oh, dude, the Starlight Beacon is absolutely <laughs> totally, like, totally. There is no way the Starlight Beacon is going to survive this, right, dude? Like, it is like, the Will Lark like, of space wh- stations. That's what you. It is right. Okay, that's that's the thing. That's the thing we have to talk about, which occurred to me the entire time, and I wanted to discuss it with you guys. It's like when. And how is the Starlight Beacon gonna be destroyed? Because it does it doesn't exist, right? It doesn't exist in modern canon as right. far as we know. I feel like they would talk about it if it did. So right. how is it gonna yeah. happen? Let's say it's it now. Percent a target. It's so there are three phases to the High Republic, right? We get that like the light of the Jedi, the sub like they in, in the big press conference they highlighted three phases. Yeah. The end of phase two. That's the climax of the. End of phase that's two. it's the end of Empire, man. It's it's the it's the end of the second act. The beacon gets destroyed yeah. in the third act of the Jedi brushing they, themselves off. I can see that. How can they how can they tie it all back in? I wonder if another kind of secondary question, which I'm sure we can come back to later if we want, is how is all this gonna tie into modern Jedi? Like is it is it going to, right? I mean, are we gonna see a transition? We talked about that early on, I think. Are we gonna see some of the ideology start to change in this series? In this uh I don't know, maybe. Uh, I don't know if they're gonna change <laughs> that much in this just because I think they wanna keep as much open as they can. I think yeah. I, I think we're we're definitely by the end of phase three gonna get a Yoda centered project that gets him starting to think about things that yeah. he like I, I think we'll so. get there. But to your point about the the beacon real quick, Charles, I I, I love the beacon as a concept. Real quick, I just wanna like say I think it's it's kinda like like the UN as a space station. I think that's really cool. I love how they mm. said, Oh, it's gonna have a rotating art so we're gonna show the culture as yeah. well as the medical, as right. well as the warrior. Like, like it, it feels, it feels a little forced, in my opinion. Yeah. Right. Like it feels like it feels like the Republic, like woefully naive, exerting their will on the outer rim a little bit to me. Yeah. So that's that's part of that's part of why I wonder if it's gonna be connected to like the prequel era Jedi at all. Are we gonna mm-hmm. see a little bit of this of we need to worry about our own kind of mentality, right? Ooh, we need maybe. to worry about what exists in the Republic and like. Maybe we need to bring it back home a little bit. Stop being so focused on what's out there. Mm. And I don't know, like a sense of that nationalism, I guess, a little bit might be a good word for it. Of like, yeah. I, I, yeah. Wonder, I wonder if we'll see that sort of be sort of a drawback of, of the beacon. Because like I, I, the thing is absolutely doomed. Like it has <laughs> to be because it's out there all by itself. And I think it's absolutely well, and I think It is a matter of time. One is interesting, too, because um, in, uh, in our future roundtable, uh, Claudia Gray is into the dark. Uh, it's another story of people trying to get to the beacon, and so so all all the stories in this first you know pseudo wave of these first three books take place getting to the beacon. So we still haven't quite seen it at full capacity. Uh, the comic is going to take place much more on the beacon, so I think we're going to see kind of the day to day of it. Like Avar Chris is the Marshal of Starlight Beacon, which is just a freaking awesome title. Let's be clear, that's amazing. I love I love cowboy beaconness. But 
I, I think it's going to be interesting once we start seeing Jedi in this era that have been on the beacon for a while. When it's not just new. When it's the first year. Right. It's maybe the second year. Like, what is beacon life actually like? And I think you make a great point, Corey. Are people more concerned with the image of Starlight Beacon than its function to help? And I wonder if that's going to shift. Yeah, I agree. I wonder if that's going to shift. Yeah. But I want the Lego set. I want it to be a Lego. <laughs> That'd be great. Yeah. That'd be cool. <laughs> how, how, how would you even... <laughs> you have to like spin it from the ceiling or something. Exactly. Because it's a weird shape. And then it, it won't stand up by itself. Yeah, and then the wire snaps and explodes all yeah. over the ground because that's exactly what's going to happen. It's a target. It's such a target out there. It is. It's a feature. It the feature is that at some point it will break. <laughs> I mean, it's it's already it's already designed for the rich. Like it's it's all it's all about this. Like, oh, it's a beacon of hope and all this crap. But listen, these poor people live on Tatooine. They're not going to go tour the Starlight Beacon. Luke Skywalker had never even left the planet, like until mm-hmm. the films, right? Yeah. So, like, what kind of income are these people saying to be able to get up there? I mean, I'm sure it costs exactly, a fortune, right? It's 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 a it's a it's a phony, right? It's it's a thing for the rich bureaucrats of Alderaan to go fly out to the outer rim and be like, oh, yes, this is what these poor people do around <laughs> here. Oh, yes. <laughs> Let's look at the peasants of, of, of the outer rim, right? That's what it screams to oh, me. Man. It screams, okay. Peasants of the outer rim. I can't wait for that book. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> a great one. I think that's, yeah, totally. that's really interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, y'all don't maybe think that the Starlight Beacon is that great of a work. Even though it's like the headliner of Lena So's great works, it is. I dig it. I think it's supposed to be. Yeah, I think it's supposed to be. But it's cool because I think look at what Lena So is doing as a chancellor. She's very much exerting her will and what she thinks the galaxy should look like (laughs) on everyone. And it's exactly what Palpatine does later on. I mean, they both exerted their powers. It seems like to mold the universe into what they wanted it to be. It's just one of them has very pure intentions and the other doesn't. But it's interesting that despite those intentions, you can still have something bad come out of it. Like you know it what sounds I'm like y'all are thinking. Just one last thing on, on the optimistic note, because we, we, we definitely went, went a certain way there, which is legit. I think that's what's going to happen. Um, I do think that there was something about So's great works that reminded me a lot about FDR and the Depression, right? Um, yeah, uh, Mag- Magdalene brought that up, actually. Oh, okay, earlier. yeah. She said she wanted she wanted space FDR yeah. is what her comments <laughs> Which is totally with. it, and I think that this is definitely from a place of, like, we're going to build all these great things to help people, and I think there is an element of legacy, right? I mean, God, we talk about legacy with every Star Wars writer. We talk about legacy with every mm-hmm. story. Lena So's legacy mm-hmm. should be that of great works. Clearly, by the time the prequels happen, either A, they're gone, or B, I mean— in the real world, like they didn't know Lena so existed, so they didn't talk about her. Duh. But right. I think there could be interesting ways to talk about why aren't these great works like the great, um, great like the pyramids and the, the, the wonders of the world. Like, what happens to these great works? Why aren't they everywhere? That'll be a fun, a really mm-hmm. fun story. Yeah. I think you're absolutely right. We're going to have more of Lena So's great works to talk about, her relationship with the Jedi and the Republic in general. We're going to talk about that amazing epilogue, and we're going to have a whole bunch of Easter eggs and connective tissue to get into, but we're going to have to save all of that for next week for part three of three of the Light of the Jedi Roundtable. God, I swear we just started this episode. 
I know. <laughs> Seriously. Like it feels like it. <laughs> I know. There's there's no way we could have squeezed this into two episodes. No, no way. No. And and I think what this is to, to to really put an end on part two here, these questions you're putting towards us, Charles, are really interesting because they are about going forward. Like Markion's plan is the future. The great works are the future. And I think what Light of the Jedi does so well is that it is a complete story. It is a beginning, middle, and end of an awesome story. And I think it doesn't shortchange you if you want a good, complete Star Wars book. However, as opposed to some of our other roundtables, which were all about, like, oh, this is what happened, what do we think? This is what happened, what do we think? There's so much momentum in this book, even after it's over, that I think it it really is unique in that way of propelling an entire initiative and uh, I'm, just, I'm just, I'm more impressed with every conversation that we have about what it was able to do, you know? I'm very Absolutely. excited. Absolutely. Yeah. All right. Absolutely. I, I think it goes without question that this book is really kicking off the era, like, with so much mm-hmm. to talk about. It makes it a ton of fun. I'm really excited. No question. Well, um, to everyone in the chat that is, again, these have been some of our most active chats. Th- thank you all for tuning in live. Again, next week we will be on Twitch again. It will be our last Twitch show. Uh, on the living force at least and then for our 100th episode spectacular we will be going spectacular is wow i'm putting i'm putting stakes on it sorry uh, for our 100th episode that will be fine we will be going to uh youtube so keep your eyes on that for the switch if you're listening live to everyone watching later we hope you enjoyed this episode we hope you're loving this talk about light of the jedi because that my friends will do it for this week's episode of the living force if you're already supporting us on Patreon, thank you so much because of the later start time and the longer episode. There'll be no aftermath tonight. That will be coming back very, very soon so we can hang out and just chat. A special thank you goes out to Cheryl Bell, Patrick Ortiz, and Carl Sander on our Jedi High Council, and Kyle Hickman, Elizabeth Cloutier, Jason Mitchell, Freddie C., and Sally and Chris Eilerson on our Alliance High Command for your amazing support of all things Utini. You can find us on Twitter at Eric Eilerson, at DocStarWarsMD, at C. Hankel, and at Boss Wes. A special thank you goes out to Matt Davenport, our amazing editor, Ryan, our graphic designer extraordinaire, and Wes, our producer and community manager. Thank you to Corey, Charles, and Wes for podcasting with me. Thanks to all of you for hanging out in the chat. And as always, we are all the Republic. May the Force be with you! There is no hatred. There is joy. There is no division. There is union. There is no apathy. There is passion. There is no gatekeeping. There is community. This is the Utini Star Wars fan code. Embrace it. Live by it. And above all, trust in the living force. That's all for this week. Join our community and surround yourself with like-minded fans by visiting us online at utini.com. Until next time, may the force be with you.